go to John chapter 8 this morning. That's going to be our main kind of anchor text. I'll have lots of other scriptures on the screen for you as well, but that's where we're going to um, kind of anchor in for today. We're in this series called Destroying Strongholds, where we're looking at the things in our lives, specifically the things in our minds that tend to trap us in sin and tend to keep us in cycles of sin um, and how we can use the truth of God's word to break down those strongholds and find freedom from those issues. And today we're going to conquer, or we're going to talk about a very uh, important one, a very um, prevalent one in our culture, and that is destroying addiction. Um, and this is kind of a loaded word, I know, for a lot of people. And so just take a deep breath with me for a second, and uh, let's see what God's word has to say to us this morning on this topic. So I was born a PK, pastor's kid, if you don't know the church uh, lingo there. Um, and so I, I had very loving, committed parents. Um, to Christ, and but my dad, that was not the case. My father was born into a very abusive and broken home, wildly broken home for years, um, and so by the time my dad got to like middle school, he was looking for anything to escape from that, like just to get out, and so pretty soon that turned into alcohol and drugs, and he got very heavily in, uh, involved with that from his early teenage years, and um, he would use it to escape, to, to numb the pain, to, to fit in, to just cope with life. And pretty soon that usage became so heavy that he became an alcoholic and a drug addict. So much to the point where he actually started selling and dealing drugs in order to support himself and to keep kind of up with that life and so forth. And that kind of went on for him through, for many years. And eventually he tells the story that there was one time that him and a group of friends went to a concert to do a drug deal, and in the midst of it, one of the friends that was with them overdosed on um, whatever it was that they had that night and ended up getting rushed to the hospital. And uh, thankfully, by God's grace, she survived. Um, but while she was there in the hospital, a pastor comes by and talks to her about Jesus. And she ends up getting saved right there in the hospital bed as a response to her near-death uh, experience. Um, and then she turns around and she shares the gospel with uh, uh, my dad's cousin, who was kind of a mutual friend, and he gets saved. So then the two of them start working on my dad and trying to get him in on it, and uh, my dad really wasn't having anything to do with it, though. Right? He, was, he was still living that life. He was still very much engulfed in alcohol and drugs and all of that, and so, but they just kept bothering him and bothering him, and so finally, he, just to get him off his back, he made, a, he made a bet with them that he would go to church for six weeks, and he could pick up more girls at church than he could at the bar. That was, that was the plan, and so um, so he starts going to church for six weeks, and every week he would do the same thing. He'd go, he'd go, get to the parking lot, and he would wait in the parking lot, and he would get drunk and high in the church parking lot before he went into service uh, just to, to have you know, his, his, himself ready for whatever. So he goes in, he does this for several weeks, and finally, like the fourth or fifth week, um, the pastor gets up and preaches, and, and God just starts speaking directly to him through the Holy Spirit and just says, listen, the path you're on, this life, is taking you straight to hell. And that's not where you want to be. So my dad, just he just couldn't shake that. And so he went home that night. He got drunk and high again and just tried to wash that out of his brain. Um, but it just never quite could do it. And so by the end of the evening, uh, in the middle of the night, he ends up on the bathroom floor of his apartment crying out to God, like, Jesus, if you are real, save me and take this from me. I want to be done with all of it. Completely change my life. And in that moment, God did. 
He saved my dad, and my dad flushed all of his booze, all of his drugs down the toilet and never touched it again. Now, for some of you, you're like, that's, that's a wild story. Like, you, can, you, have, you have no bearings to relate to. Like, I don't even know how to, like, tap into that. That seems way too far-fetched. I can't put my mind around that, and that's okay. Maybe that's not your story this morning. But for some of us here, maybe that is your story this morning. Maybe that was your story. Maybe that still is your story today. Maybe you still have something in your life that has a hold of you, and it's keeping you separated from Christ. And you can't seem to shake it. You can't seem to get rid of it. It's just, it's just the only thing you know. And maybe your addiction is something obvious like that, that you know, the, the typical drugs, alcohol, gambling, things like that. Or maybe it's something that's less obvious. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's, um, dare I say it, your phone. Pastor, did you really have to go there? Like, seriously, like, we're going to go, we're going to go to the phone this morning? Like, I don't know what your thing is, but like, if there's anything in your life that is controlling you and that has this hold on you that's keeping you away from Christ and keeping your heart and your mind somewhere else, that's an addiction. That's a problem. So that's what we want to look at today. Because regardless of what your addiction might be, and maybe you don't have one, I'm saying everyone here has one. Don't, don't hear me wrong, okay? But if you do, the thing that's keeping you from shaking that, the answer is the same for all of them. And the answer is Jesus. Let me read a verse for you. Look with me at John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That scripture, along with the others we're going to look at today, I think clearly speaks this idea to us throughout scripture about addiction. Number one, I'm sorry, the nail is this. Only Christ can set me free from the slavery of addiction. Only Christ I picked that word on purpose. Please hear me this morning. Only Christ can set me free from the slavery of addiction. There are lots of other patches you can get. There's lots of other things you can try that might help you for a little while. But if you want to have complete and utter freedom, Christ is the only way. Now, I'm not saying that as some trite answer or some easy, you know, religious cliche. I'm saying that as someone who has seen it, who has personally experienced it and who wants to have you experience the same thing. That if you're stuck in something this morning, I want you to have the freedom that Christ provides. So with that in mind, let's dive in this morning. Before I can, we get to the Christ is the answer part, let's get a little bit better definition and understanding of what addiction is and why it has a hold on us. And then we'll see how Christ is their only response to that. All right, so number one, we want to look at the walls of addiction. Number one is the walls of addiction. So, you know, Paul gives us this imagery of a stronghold, right, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 we've been talking about. It's, it's this fortress. It's this, it's this thing that has built these walls around the sin in our lives, around the sin in our minds, and it's protecting it. It's, it's keeping it um, shored up so that it can't be destroyed. 
And so with addiction, there are lies that the enemy is telling us. There are lies that we're believing that are the walls of that stronghold that are protecting our sin and keeping it from us getting rid of it. But at the same time those walls are protecting our sin, they're actually also enslaving us and trapping us in that sin as well. So the only way you're going to break free from the addiction is tearing down those lies, those strongholds, with the truth of God's word. So I got five lies for you, five lies of addiction this morning that are the walls that we want to tear down. Number one, first lie is it's fun. Maybe not the addiction part. Nobody says addiction is really fun. But the, the stuff that got you there, right, whatever it is that led you into that, the reason you started is because in your mind you believed it's fun, right? I like it. It brings me pleasure, Right? Why, why can't I? And, and I like it turned into I want it, which turned into I desire it, which turned into it's my choice. I can do it if I want to. I don't care what you say. And the truth of God's word tells us this, that yes, actually that's right. It is fun for a season. The truth is this. Sin is only fun for a season. It's got a short shelf life. And then eventually the consequences come, and those are not fun. Let me give you a verse, Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25. says, they choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy, here's the key word, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting, temporary. Short-lived. It's fun for a little while. And the reason that it turns to not be fun is in James 1, 14 through 15, he says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The reason it's fun is because I'm enticed by my own desire, because I have the sinful nature inside of me that's saying, Look at that. Oh, yeah, that, that'll be awesome. That'll be fun. Go for that. Go for that. And I'm enticed by my desires, my fleshly desires, to go into this sinful thing. Or maybe it's not even sinful to start with, but it can, it's leading me down that road. And pretty soon that desire turns into sin, and then sin turns into death. And I can assure you, the death it's talking about, not just physical, but spiritual death, is not fun. Ever. So that's lie number one. Lie number two. It's not hurting anyone. Right? It's my thing. Like, it's not affecting anybody else. It's just, it's just this is my deal. It's, it's not a big thing. I can handle it. I've got it under control. My life, my body, my choice. Like, it's not bothering any, It's not hurting anybody else. It's just me, and I can handle it. But the truth about sin is this. Sin always hurts. Sin always hurts you and others, physically and spiritually. Sin always hurts you and others physically and spiritually. Let me give you some verses here on the physically side. Proverbs 23, 21. It says, For the drunkard and the glutton, examples of addiction, will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. It physically hurts you, and it's probably going to hurt those around you because if you're responsible for anybody else in your life or connected to anybody else in your life, this is going to roll on to them as well go on down further in that chapter, verse 29 says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness with, 
of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not let, look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. It's talking here specifically about drunkenness, which is just one example of addiction, but it all plays out the same. Listen to that, listen to that language, sorrow, strife. Wounds without cause, redness of eyes, it bites, it stings. This, this is telling us that sin is physically painful. It hurts us. You ever notice when someone gets arrested for something related to an addiction and you see their mugshot? They never look like a picture of health. You're never like, oh man, that guy looks really good. I wish I could look like that. Because sin takes a physical toll on our bodies. But it also takes a spiritual toll. Listen to this, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. There's our, our example of an addiction. Orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we continue on day after day, step after step, in a a habitual life of sin, which is what addiction ultimately is, it's showing that we are not connected to Christ. And if you are not connected to Christ, then you will not experience the kingdom of God. So there is a physical and spiritual cost to sin. It does hurt you and others. Lie number three. Line number three is, it helps me, right? Like, listen, Micah, it's been a long day. Like, you, you don't know what's been going on at work, and I just, I just need to unwind. I just need to relax. This helps me take the edge off. Like, it helps me function in my life. It helps me get through the day. Here's the truth, friends. It doesn't help you. It controls you. The point at which you have to have it to get through the day, the point that you, at which you have to have it to function in your normal life, that's no longer a help. That's controlling you. And God doesn't want anything to control you except for him. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not, be, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but... Be filled with the Spirit. So this is a really important sentence here because it, there's this contrast that he's drawing, right? He says, don't be drunk, or you could also translate that, don't be filled with wine. In other words, don't let wine or alcohol or anything else control you. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Let God be the one who is filling you. Let God be the one who's controlling you from the inside out. That's where we want to be as followers of Christ. And you can't be filled with the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit if you're filled or controlled by anything else. And as we're filled with the Spirit, then the Spirit grows within us self-control. Galatians 5, 23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there are no law. 
So as we step away from whatever it is that we're addicted to, and we let ourselves to be filled with the Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit comes and he starts producing in us the fruit of the Spirit, which is one of self-control. For I now can stand and walk and follow Christ free from whatever it was in my past that was controlling me before. So that's lie number three. It helps me. Lie number four, I need it to escape. I need it to escape. I, I need to release some stress. I need a break. Like life's really hard right now. There's a lot of stuff coming at me. I just need to check out. I just, I just need some time where I don't have to think about it, where I can drown my sorrows and just be free from it for a while. I need an escape. But here's the truth, friends. You don't need an escape. You need to be rescued. You don't need to escape. You need to be rescued by the one who can actually give you freedom. You need hope in God, not just a habit. Listen to Lamentations 3, 21 through 23 says this, But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's the key, guys. With addiction, the escape you get is always temporary. Which is why you have to keep going back to it, right? That's why you have to have the next time and the next time and the next time. Because the one never lasts. It's temporary. But this verse tells us That God, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, they never end. They never stop being there for you. When you run to him for rescue, rather than some other substance or habit, you get a lasting, eternal rescue, not just a temporary escape. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As you believe in Jesus, you are filled with joy and peace and hope that lasts. And you don't need those temporary fixes anymore. Last lie, number five. I need the high. Like, I just have to have it. Like, you don't understand how many years it's been that I've been doing this, that I've been using this, that this has been my thing, and I need that high. I need that, I I can't live without it. I have to have it. But again, that high is always temporary. It never lasts. So what if I told you this? What if I told you the truth is, Jesus is a better high. I know that sounds a little weird. <laughs> Some of you are like, is that sacrilegious? I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can call Jesus a high. Let's read some scripture here and see how God's word describes what we have in Christ. Listen to Psalm 4, 6 through 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Again, do you see the contrast there? 
You've put more joy in my heart. You've given me more. I have a better high. I have more in Jesus than I can ever have in this stuff that the world provides. Fill my cup with that. And the way we get there, the key to getting to that place with Christ, James 4.10, says humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. The greatest high you'll ever have is an eternal high. It's being exalted in Christ for all eternity. And the only way you get that is by first humbling yourself and repenting of your sin and falling at the feet of the one who can exalt you far beyond anything else in this world. So these are the lies that we have to deal with. I know one time I was thinking this week, one time Courtney and I were counseling with someone who was struggling with several areas in their life, and um, they had trusted in Christ, they were a believer, but they, they, just, they just still had all this stuff, right? Like, you know how I'm talking about, like, you get saved and sometimes all the, the, the sin and the stuff, it just doesn't go away automatically, it doesn't go away immediately, right? So they're still struggling with all these cycles of sin and all these struggles of sin and it just keeps hanging on and it seems like they can't get free from some of it. And so we're talking with them and, and quickly it comes out that they were uh, regularly self-medicating with marijuana. This was like part of just their normal routine. And as we tried to talk to them about it, they, they were using this kind of language like they needed it. Right? I needed to calm down. I needed to, to function. I needed, it just helps me cope with my life. And I can't make it through so many days unless I have a hit. And this is just, and they, I don't think they, they understood, but the language they were using was telling us like they were addicted to this. And so graciously but firmly, we told them, listen, we can't, we can't counsel you if you're still using. Because you see, right now, that drug has control of you. It has control of your mind. It has control of your heart. And any counsel we're going to give you is going to be worthless as long as you're on that. Because the Holy Spirit can't come in and start to work and control you when that's still controlling you. So if you really want to get free, you've got to step away from that so we can actually work. In there. And they were, they were kind of put off at first. They're like, are you serious right now? <laughs> like, that's how you're going to come at me? They couldn't envision a life without their addiction. They were fully believing the lie that they needed that thing to function and nothing else would work. Thankfully, they did agree to stop. Didn't happen overnight. It's not like some you know, miracle story where just they walked away clean. It took several weeks or months. It took a couple of setbacks. It kept, took some time to, to work through that process, but eventually they did get clean. And it, I think it became clear that they began to realize that this addiction, it wasn't just helping them. It was controlling them. It was controlling their life. It was enslaving them. It was actually blocking them from getting the true help that they needed and the only way they could help, the only way they could get healing in their heart and in their mind was through Jesus Christ. Nothing else. And the same is true for all of us. No matter what your thing is, no matter what 
your addiction may be. Maybe you don't have one. Again, I'm not saying everybody does. But if you've got something that's still holding on to you and still is controlling any part of your life rather than Christ, the way you break free, the way you get freedom from that is the same thing. It's in Christ. It's in forsaking the lies and turning to the truth of Jesus. The power of addiction comes from the lies I believe. The reason it keeps you stuck, the reason you keep going back, the reason it's a pattern is because you are stuck believing these lies that the addiction has sold you, and now you need to replace those. You need to believe the truth. So that's the first way. Tear down the walls by believing the truth rather than the lies. But it's not enough to just tear down the walls. We also have to deal with the foundations. Point number two, the foundations of addiction. You see, if I destroy the walls, if I tear down the walls, that's great. But if I don't deal with the foundations, guess what? The walls are just going to build right back up. We have to go deeper. We have to get to the heart. What is it that's driving this for me? Three primary foundations when it comes to addictions. Number one, idolatry. The first primary issue when it comes to addiction is idolatry. Romans one we we've used this verse before. It says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what an addiction is doing. You're worshiping and you're serving something that was created, right? A substance, a, a habit, something that is not God. It's something that God created, but it's taken the place of God in your life. You see, an idol isn't just some little statue you put on a shelf. An idol is anything that I desire more than God. Anything that I run to, anything that I value, anything that I, that I put my life into more than I do Jesus is an idol. And every addiction at some place, at some root, has an idol that we're running after. And therefore, addiction isn't just a behavioral issue. It's a worship issue. It's about what am I willing to worship more? This thing that gives me temporary pleasure? This thing that I think I have to have? This thing that I think is so important? Or Christ? And giving him control. And finding my pleasure in him. And finding my life in him, not in my addiction. So the first foundation is idolatry. The second foundation that's common is slavery. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You see, addiction is obedient slavery to something to a substance, to a habit, to some other thing that we're running after. It's us being obediently enslaved to something that was created. And slavery, it says here, slavery to sin leads to death. But slavery to obedience, obedience in Christ, leads us to righteousness. So part of defeating addiction is 
tearing down or digging up this foundation of being enslaved to something else and turning that allegiance, turning that submission, turning that slavery over to Christ instead of my substance. So that's number two. Number three, third foundation, and I think, again, this kind of infuses all of it, is selfishness. Selfishness. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That middle section is so key. The desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. The common thread through all of that is it's all about me. It's what I want. The desire of my flesh, the desire of my eyes, the the pride of my life. Like, I want what I want. Right here, John is describing a worship of self. And my natural desires, my natural state is that I want to run after the things of the world. I want to put those first. But he says here that that's not from the Father. It's from the world. And therefore, if it's not from God and it's from anything else, it's sin. And the world, he says, is passing away. As we've seen in so many verses already, sin leads to death. And so all these temporary things that we're running after, all these temporary pleasures and addictions, they are dying off just like the rest of this world. And if we're a part of that, instead of a part of Christ, we'll die right along with them. But, there's always good news. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Again, it's this contrast between the temporal and and the eternal. That all these other things that we run after, all these other desires that we have, they're temporal, they're fleeting, they're passing away, but God is forever. And so if we'll give ourselves to him, if we'll follow him, if we'll depend on him, we can have eternity guaranteed. It's all about your foundation. Last week I shared, if you were here, we had a different stronghold we were dealing with, but I shared my story of sexual immorality and my addiction to pornography and all these things that I wrestled with in my earlier years of life. And the reason I got to that place, the reason that it had such a hold on me, dare I say it was even an addiction, it was not just the lies that I believed, that was part of it, but that just fed the sin. What really allowed that to take root in my life was the heart. It was the foundation underneath all of that. And for me, that foundation was an idol of self-gratification. It was rooted in my own selfishness that I want what I wanted, I want what I desired, and I didn't care how it affected me or anybody else. And I didn't care what God said about it because I was after that more than anything. The desire of my flesh, the desire of my eyes was ruling my heart. And over time, as I fed that idol, 
it grew and it grew and it grew until I was enslaved to that sin. And I tried lots of things, lots of methods, lots of treatments, lots of books, lots of all kinds of things. And some of them helped a little bit. But in the end, the only way that true, lasting freedom came was when I got to Jesus. When I loved him more than I loved my sin, that's when freedom came. Listen, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but you will never experience lasting freedom from addiction until Jesus deals with the foundations of your heart. Until you let the gospel come in and tear down those foundations and you surrender to Christ, you will not find lasting freedom. Because the hold of addiction continues because of the sinful foundations in my heart. That hold it has on you, that that you can't shake it, it just keeps sticking around, it's because of these foundations that are rooted so deep that sometimes you can't even see them. But until you dig up the foundations, you will not be free. And you can't do it by yourself. You need Christ. You need his power, his love, his strength to do this. Which is why we go to the last point today, destroying addiction. Destroying, destroying addiction, three, three pieces to this. Number one, it's the same one it has been every week. Hopefully you've caught on to the pattern by now. Confession. Confession, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You cannot be free from addiction until you are willing to confess the sin in your life. The issue, the problem, the thing that you're worshiping more than God. It has to start there, which is why the gospel is so powerful. Because that's where the gospel starts. It starts with me acknowledging, God, I'm a sinner. Like, I'm messed up. I've got this issue in my life, and it controls me, and I can't get out of it, and I can't stop, and I've tried everything else. Nothing works. I need help. Lord, I need your help. And the gospel says that when you cry out like that, God comes running to save you. He's already made the way. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect and sinless life. And then go to the cross and die a sinner's death in our place. He went there to pay for our sins, not his own. He didn't have any. He was a substitute for us to take the wrath and the punishment that we deserve to be killed in our place so that he could go into the grave and three days later rise back to life conquering our sin, conquering death, and offering us forgiveness and freedom from sin for all who will believe. But it starts with you confessing your sin and then turning away and believing in Jesus Christ. So first, confession. Number two, community. One thing that I've learned through all these years 
personally and in the ministry is that if you're really going to get free from something that's been that strong of a hold in your life for that long is you can't do it by yourself. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is quickly is not quickly broken. Very clear. <laughs> two is better than one. Everybody get that? Was that like pretty simple, right? Two is better than one, and three is better than two. So what that tells me is here, don't go into the fight outnumbered. Don't try to fight this on your own. When we fight alone, we lose. Go with community. Get some other guys, get some other ladies around you who are willing to pray with you, fight with you, stand with you, walk with you, and you don't have to do this by yourself. This is why small groups are so important. You need other people in your life who know you and know your stuff, which means you have to be brave enough to be honest about your stuff, but know you and know your stuff and are willing to come alongside you and walk with you in community as you get freedom from it. Second piece of community, though, is this. Look at James 5.16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We don't confess to one another because you can forgive me or because you can stop my sin. You have no spiritual power in my life. But what you do have is a very spiritually powerful weapon. It's called prayer. It says when the prayer of the righteous has great power as it's working. If you're going to go into this fight, you want to use your best weapons. And one of your best weapons is the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you and circling the wagons and fighting with you against whatever it is you're going through. So confession, community, and then lastly, number three, is Christ. Hopefully you saw that one coming. Right? I'm kind of feeding it through the whole message so far. But let me, let me give you some scripture here. Listen to this. Let's go back to John chapter 8. You should have had this one open earlier. John chapter 8. I want to go deeper this time, though. Verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How, <coughs> how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The truth of God's word and the son of God will set you free. Free indeed. Indeed. One of the biggest problems I have with even using the word addiction or talking about addiction in this kind of context is because of the cultural nuances that have been put around that word. Our culture thinks about addiction in a very specific way that I don't think is always biblical. You've probably heard this phrase before. Once an addict, 
false. It's not true. God's word just told us differently. I don't care what you're stuck in. If you come to Christ, you can be free and free indeed. Listen to me this morning. Addiction is not a life sentence. Christ is. Put your faith in him and you will have something guaranteed for life. Freedom in Jesus. It doesn't have to be addiction. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs or gambling or sex or shopping or food or whatever your thing is. You don't have to be stuck in that. Jesus is bigger. Do not believe the lie that addiction is a life sentence. There's more. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For Christians, that's the language we need to talk about and we need to use when we're talking about addiction. The old has passed away. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old no longer has a hold on me. It no longer has a place here. It no longer has power in my life because Christ is in me and I am a new creation in Jesus. Addiction is not your identity. Christ is. Once you come to Jesus, whatever it was before, that's not you anymore. Don't wear that label. Don't let that be what defines you any longer. Christ is your identity now. Leave that old stuff in the past. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you put your faith in Jesus, it's no longer you. You don't live anymore. Now Christ is living inside of you. And let me just tell you, Christ is not an addict. Addiction is no longer your life. Christ is. Live in that. Believe that. Walk in that truth and you will be free indeed. He says here, we live by faith in the Son of God. Not by fear. Not by past regrets or mistakes. Not by what other people think or say. We live by faith in the Son of God. Let me close with this. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that the, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have died to sin. 
and you now walk in newness of life. Because only Christ can set me free from the slavery of addiction. I do believe that there are some here today who are walking in addiction. I don't know what it is. I don't know all your stories. Could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be gambling. Could be things, again, that are less obvious. Shopping, lust, technology, food. And if you're not, and some of you might not be, that's fine. But I guarantee you have somebody close to you who is. What I want you to know today, more than anything, is that there is hope, and there is freedom, and there is a better life in Christ. This doesn't have to be your story anymore. You can be free from whatever it is that's holding on to you. It doesn't have to define your future. It doesn't have to continue to rule your life. There's a better way. Turn from your sin to Christ and let him fill your heart with his presence. And you will be free. Free Jesus, make it so. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. We thank you, God, for a time to gather, a time to worship. As we were just praying earlier, Lord, we know, we acknowledge and grieve, Lord, that not everyone around the world has the same privilege that we do to do this, the same ability. So we praise your name. Thank you, God. Right now, God, we just, we come to you humble again, confessing once again that we need you, Lord. And confessing that we are grieved today. We're grieved by the reality of addiction in our world and for some of us in our own lives. There are so many things that try to lure us away from you, that try to enslave us in sin, that that try to take us away from what you designed us to be. So Lord, open our eyes today. Lord, I pray that scales would fall off the eyes of those who are blind to their sin, blind to their addiction, and that you would help us, Lord, not to take one more step. Or that we would not be willing to go one step further in that addiction, one step further in that sin before we fall on our face and ask you, Lord, to save us, to help us, to deliver us. God, your word says that in Christ we are forgiven, that we are righteous, that we are free if we turn to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe that today. With every ounce that we are, Lord, help us to believe that we are free in Christ. Tear down the addictions. Fill us with your truth. Lord, we belong to nothing else except you. 
make it so. I pray all of this in Christ's name.